Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The first Sunday after the Epiphany, Luke 2, 41-52. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love, dear friends in Christ. Only a few have emigrated to this country for the proper motive. Most left their homeland to gain material advantages, earthly riches, or comfortable living. Only a few have come because they could more easily lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And even some of those who have come because of heavenly riches alone have acted in gross error. Many suppose that they had to do it to maintain the true church. This, as we said, is a great error. The nature of the true church is such that it can exist in any land under any form of government. It is indeed true that now and then in our fatherland, the temporal and spiritual authorities did not permit the preaching of the pure doctrine. False teachers and books full of falsehood were forced upon our schools and churches, while here the church has complete freedom of religion. The experience of all ages proves that the church is always strongest inwardly when she is most severely oppressed. Persecution also nurtures the best Christians, whereas freedom and security engulf the church little by little in indifference, security, indolence, and spiritual satiety. It is especially noteworthy and disgraceful that many believe that they had to emigrate for the sake of their children's salvation. Yet it cannot be denied that here our youth is in particularly great spiritual danger. Here, under the guise of freedom of religion and conscience, such horrible blasphemies are uttered against God, His Word, and everything holy on all streets, in all public places, and even spread in the eagerly read dailies, as I dare say happens in no other country of the world. Under the cloak of freedom, all sins and shame are committed in broad daylight. The government and its laws, all discipline and order, is so insolently defied as scarcely happens in other lands. We must also mention that children have so many ways of earning money and becoming independent that one must almost be amazed to find children obedient and considerate of their parents. The danger of being misled reaches its peak because here, as nowhere else, an almost countless host of sects fill the land. They often surround themselves with such a deceiving and holy air that even the elect could easily be deceived and misled. 
If those of us who are fathers and mothers honestly wish that our children are not merely successful, but above all that they be saved, if we would consider the conditions of our new fatherland in light of God's word, who must not think of the future with fear and trembling? Who must not cry out in worry and solicitude, Ah, what will become of my poor children after my death? Will they not be drawn into the maelstrom of perdition and lose their souls? Such apprehensions are well-grounded. Yet we would sin if we would despair completely. We would fall into the same error that prompted many to leave our old fatherland, the error that one cannot be saved everywhere on earth. Such thoughts be far from us. No, since by God's permission we are here, we should for our comfort realize that God, whose grace reaches as far as the heavens extend, is also here. Jesus Christ, to whom the heathen were given for his inheritance and the ends of the world as his possession, has his kingdom of grace also here. God's Spirit, from whom one cannot escape, even with the wings of the morning, moves and works here as well. That word applies, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here is the tree of the church, whose branches spread out over all parts of the earth. Here also, God extends his hand toward sinners. Here, we and our children can be protected from being misled and be saved. On the basis of today's gospel, permit me to speak to you more on what parents and children must do to bring this about. Luke 2, 41-52 Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to the custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group that went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him according to their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. During the past twelve days we have seen Christ as an infant in the arms of his mother. Now in today's gospel he is presented to us at the side of his parents and his pious youth. Therefore, join me today in considering the Holy Family, an instructive example for Christian parents and children. We ask, what does it teach the parents? What does it teach the children? We pray, O oh Jesus, you so want to bless the preaching of your word that it is strongly urged upon parents and children, that henceforth we faithfully direct our children to you, that our children willingly and gladly permit themselves to be led to you, 
and when we parents sleep in our graves, our children may still as a congregation serve you and bless us as their pious fathers and mothers until you at last will have gathered us all together in the triumphant congregation of your perfected saints. There we will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Our gospel reading today relates the only incident preserved from the childhood of our Savior. Yet this one event suffices to give us a picture of what the whole youth of Christ was like until he entered his public ministry. The first thing that we learn from our gospel is the way in which Mary and Joseph discharged their duty as the parents of Christ. We learn that after they had circumcised the holy child according to the law, they trained him with the greatest care. Even from age 12, he had to go along with them when according to the law of the Lord, they traveled to Jerusalem to serve the Lord publicly and celebrate the Easter festival with the whole congregation in Israel. How instructive this is for us parents to whom God has entrusted children. If Mary and Joseph had to rear the Holy Child carefully, in whom the Lord of glory was disguised, if even they did not dare think that this child will develop by himself without their assistance, if they did not suppose that God would watch over and protect him, how much more should we recognize our calling in being God's tools in the rearing of our helpless children? If the parents of the Most Holy God-Man recognized it as their duty to bring him into the house of the Lord, how much more should we recognize our obligation to bring our children, who are in need of grace, early to the Lord? Of course, it is not within our power to convert our children, cleanse their sinful hearts, change them, and keep them in God's grace. But we can neglect them and be guilty of the loss of their souls. We should, therefore, be God's helpers if they let themselves be saved. They would not... They were not given us to play and joke with, still less to be our servants. No, God entrusted them to us, that we direct them even as children to their heavenly Father. Someday God will demand the souls and blood of our children from us and ask, Where are my children, whom I have given you? Our most important and first duty as Christians is to bring our children immediately after birth to Jesus through baptism. He said, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, Mark 10. But we have not paid our debt when we have done that. No, if our children are baptized, Jesus himself carries them in his heart. Then we, like Mary and Joseph, also have a child Jesus in our arms in the person of our child. That should redouble our heartfelt concern over them. Then the salvation of this precious child should be the subject of our daily concern our sighs, our prayers. We should daily and hourly lay him in the arms of Jesus, and, as it were, the love of Jesus and the fear of God should flow into him with his mother's milk. As soon as the child can understand, we should tell him that he was baptized and explain the great mercy that was shown him. We should teach him to say joyfully, I am baptized, my Jesus is mine, my sins are forgiven. We should not wait until our children go to school, no, even before we can send our children to school, we should be their daily teacher and guide them to God. They are truly unfaithful parents who allow their child to grow up as it is and set their minds at rest with the fact that in his sixth year he will go to school. 
the frailer the child is, the more important becomes what is sown in his delicate heart. If we neglect the soul of our littlest child, we probably lay the foundation of later in ineradicable ruin. If we do not plant God's word in their hearts, they too soon, even after baptism, become like an untilled field in which the weed of sin, yes, the thorns, thistles, and hedges of vice, impudence, and shamelessness shoot up rampant. Oh, shame on those parents who bring an unruly child to school. As we said, in these very first years, faithful parental training does unbelievably much, whilst neglect during this age brings irreparable harm. And what should one say of those parents who, for a small payment, have the opportunity to send their children to a Christian school? Yes, tuition-free if they are very poor, but who not, do not use even this opportunity to do something for their children's souls. And consider their children their slaves, who must earn them money and for that reason even keep them out of school. Oh, how blind such parents are. How is it possible for them not to know why immortal, dearly redeemed souls were entrusted to them by God? What a terrible responsibility they load upon their conscience by such carelessness. How such conscienceless parents will someday wish that they'd never had children when they must appear before God with them. Neither does it suffice merely to send our growing children to school just to be rid of them and thus be relieved of all personal worry about their education. That is in no way enough. What can the few hours of school profit if we do not carefully see to it that the good seed sown in their heart is not again smothered by bad example, keeping bad company, and all kinds of other corruption? How can that which the teacher plants in their souls thrive and bring forth fruit? If parents at home do not water and cultivate what is planted by questions, admonitions, warnings, and loving remonstrance. Granted that parents have done everything for their children they were able to do during their school age, their parental responsibility in no way ceases even afterward. But what usually happens? Parents almost begrudge their children, even the last weeks, for that important day in their lives, when they must, before many witnesses, confess their faith, publicly renew their baptismal vow, and swear eternal faithfulness to the triune God. Or, if they allow this to happen, they immediately afterward mercifully drive their children out into the world. They do not ask whether their children's souls are in danger or not, just so they find a place where their children can earn more money. Oh, cursed greed! If parents, for the sake of filthy profit, send their children to a place of such great temptation that they can scarcely escape ruin. Oh, faithless parents, who send their child, still weak and inexperienced in faith and knowledge, among the sex, who blind the child by false human piety in order to win him for a false faith. Oh, faithless parents, who send their child amongst people who consider one religion as good as the next, and so think highly of none calling zeal for the one true, pre pure religion, narrow fanaticism. Oh, faithless parents, who send their child among impious scoffers, where they hear nothing from morning until evening but mockery, slander, and filthy jokes. Oh, faithless parents, who intentionally let their innocent child work, where a host of seducers surround him, and almost inevitably set a snare for his innocence. 
Oh, faithless parents, who unnecessarily send their child amongst murderers of souls, and for weeks and months, yes, a year at a time, do not ask whether their child still carries the Lord Jesus in his heart and confesses him before the world. Oh, faithless parents, who, if they must let their child go into a dangerous place, never in ardent intercession carry his needs to God and never again with tears beg and admonish him to remain true to his Savior. O faithless parents who hire out their child in such a way that during his service he cannot even once serve the Lord publicly on the Lord's day, strengthen his faith by hearing God's word, awaken his sluggish heart, confirm his feeble knees, strengthen his already staggering feet, and return to the narrow way that he had already left. Yes, they say, We've had enough worries as we brought our children through school. Now they have to get along as best they can. When we were young, we had to go out into the world. Those who are so indifferent, so that when they went out into the world, they were overcome by its corruption. They have no concern for their own souls. Hence, they are little concerned about their children's soul needs. Instead of lighting the way by their pious example, by their zeal and earnestness in Christianity, they seduce them by their evil example, by their lukewarm, sluggish Christianity to be as ungodly as they are. If you would think of what you do, if you should hear the woe that God pronounces upon such unscrupulous parents, you would shudder. God says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But you... Do the very opposite and seek first the riches of this world. God says further, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? But you consider the souls of your children worth a thousand times less than the whole world. Yes, what should I say? You sell your children, body and soul, to the servants of the devil to earn a couple of rusty dollars. Christ says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. But you offend those very children whom God has laid on your heart. Therefore, woe to you forever and ever. How will you give account for the neglect of your children? Look at Mary and Joseph. Every year, even though extremely poor, they made the long, expensive journey to Jerusalem. They took with them their little boy, whom no one could seduce or teach. And when, out of weakness, they had lost him, how alarmed they were, how they lamented and cried, sighed and sought for him without rest day and night, until they had again found the child. Believe this, therefore, woe will come upon your heads, if because of greed you plunge the dearly redeemed souls of your children into the least danger. Yes, as Christian parents, you will have to suffer a more severe punishment than those heathen parents who threw their children into the red-hot arms of the iron god Molech. Father, bear in mind, God has placed your child in your arms. Mother, bear in mind, God has given you your infant into your bosom. God will again demand his child from you. Woe to you if you must then become silent at the question, Where are my children? Think of Eli, upon whom God's frightful judgment fell, 
because he had not reared his sons in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not once had he turned a stern eye upon their pranks. Do not say, my child will no longer obey me. Perhaps you allowed the child to grow up without the rod of correction. Even now, you are reaping the bitter fruits of your blindness. Hurry to retrieve, if possible, what you earlier neglected. If you have chastised your children in their youth, you should not suppose that your children have now outgrown your discipline. You must continue to use your parental authority that God has given you, and even now make your children obedient. Do not cloak and excuse their sins, but earnestly punish them. Do not slacken with admonition and warning. Let even your tears speak that, if God's will. The hard hearts of your children may still be softened. But above all, you should cry to God day and night that he would stir their hearts, the hearts of your lost sons and daughters, and convert them. Yes, if they absolutely despise your parental admonition, you should show that you love Christ more than your children. Withdraw your parental blessing and no longer recognize them as your children. But you, my dear parents, who carry your children day and night upon your hearts and still see no results, do not despair. God sees your secret tears. God hears your sighs. He notices the inner yearning of your heart. Only wait for his help. Your grief and toil is not lost. God will either draw your godless children to himself, as once he drew Augustine, who had fallen deep into the service of sin, his faithful godly mother. Monica had prayed and wept for him more than 20 long years. Ambrose said to her, It is impossible for a child of these tears to be lost. If your children absolutely are not to be saved, your anxiety and prayers for them will still not be lost. But the blessing of your parental faithfulness will return a thousandfold upon your head. However, let this suffice of what today's gospel teaches parents. We now consider the boy Jesus as an instructive example for you, my dear children. The example of Jesus teaches you, my children, two important lessons. First, how you even in your youth serve God, and then how you should be subject to your parents. The Son of God could have come into the world as a full-grown man, but he did not want to. He wanted to be also a child and a young man. By his holy childhood and youth, he wanted to redeem us from the sins of our childhood and youth and set an example of true pious youth. We should follow his footsteps. Bear in mind, my dear children, the holy child Jesus was at the same time God's son. He did not have to obey the law and appear in the temple at Jerusalem, yet he accompanied his parents and joyfully undertook the distant, laborious, and difficult trip. No doubt his poor parents often could not give him even enough food. Bear in mind, in the holy child Jesus lay hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Even the teachers were astonished at his great, wonderful understanding when he asked questions as well as when he answered them. And yet this child went into the temple as soon as he came to Jerusalem and seated himself amongst the teachers. It was not the beautiful city with its splendid royal palace or the gleaming mansions of the rich that drew him. He paid no attention to all these sights, but hurried into the temple. He wanted to hear and talk about God's word. Are you like the holy child? Is God's word the joy of your heart? Oh, yes, perhaps many will say, Jesus was God's son. 
That was the reason why he was so pious even as a child. But can one demand that of us? I answer, yes, my dear children. Many other children have followed the Lord and been like him. The Apostle Paul says that from a child, Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures. Almost the very same words describe Samuel and the Lord Jesus. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in both stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. Of the eight-year-old Josiah, we read, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Second Kings 22. So you see, my dear children, it is possible to be pious even in one's youth. Yes, even then, it is the easiest. One does not have so many hindrances, no great worries, not such great desires, not so much work. One is also not so easily hated and persecuted on account of his piety. For a pious child enjoys a good reputation not only with God, but also with the people. Everyone loves such a child. Pious children are really fortunate children. A godless child, on the other hand, is most unfortunate. He is an abomination to God. The holy angels do not love him, and even people wash their hands of him. It is, of course, true that of our own power, your children can be pious just as little as adults can. Only Jesus was holy, innocent, separate from sinners from birth on. All other people bring a wicked heart into the world. But see, in holy baptism, God has also given you his Holy Spirit and cleansed your heart through faith. Only believe on your dear Savior. If you believe that he redeemed and washed you from all your sins, he will also give you the power to walk after his holy example. Follow him. Like the holy child Jesus, go gladly and diligently into the house of the Lord. Let also the precious word of God be your dearest occupation. Speak of it. Ask and be asked questions about it, and let it be your greatest joy. Whenever evil rascals want to entice you to not go where you would be instructed in God's word, do not follow them. Say with the Lord Jesus Christ, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Our text tells us that this most holy child not only loved God's word greatly, it especially shows that when his parents found him and returned home, he also went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Oh, that I could write this word. And he was submissive to them, indelibly in your hearts who still have parents. What humility that he to whom all creatures are subject, before whom all angels and men must bow the knee, was subject to his parents. What wonderful, incomprehensible condescension that he who created the firmament let his foster father employ him when he wanted to build a small hut for a poor human being. But also recognize from this what godless children they must be who do not imitate this example and do not wish to be subject to their loving parents. What will Christ say to you who have despised your parents, thrown their admonitions to the four winds, grieve them daily? and not even once regarded their tears and sighs that you wrung out of them by your disobedience. The Savior will say to you, You disgraceful children, I thought that you would be moved to obey your parents if you would hear that I, your God, Lord, and Savior, was subject to my parents. But see, even my example could not melt your disobedient, obstinate heart and move it to childlike obedience. Woe to you forever and ever. Yes, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
Alas, how those who were godless and disobedient children were wished that they could once again become young. They will think, oh, how gladly we would obey our parents, but it is too late. Therefore, in heartful repentance and firm faith, pray God today that he would forgive your disobedience for the sake of the holy, obedient child Christ. God will then be gracious to you and help you to become better while there is time. Do not listen to those who would deceive you by saying that obedience is a heavy yoke. That is Satan's voice. Listen rather to the faithful voice of your father and mother. Their voice is the voice of God. Their wrath is God's wrath. Their blessing is God's blessing. Their curse is God's curse. Ah, yes, bear in mind, all you children, what Solomon says. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures, Proverbs 30. And finally, bear in mind what God himself says in his holy law. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Ephesians 6. God grant that these precious promises can be fulfilled in us all, here in time and hereafter in eternity. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.